Hello, everybody. Welcome to Bedside Matters, the podcast that addresses the medical issues that impact every single one of us every single day. We'll hopefully give you the answers you're looking for so you can be more informed and healthier. I'm joined by Dr. David Kipper. David, how are you? I'm great, Peter, and yourself? I'm very good. Anna Vaccino, how are you? I'm doing very well. Hello, everyone. Hello, and I'm Peter Tilden, and we've got, I always say we've got a big show today, a big episode today, but basically, I guess we have a big episode every time, so let's kick it off. Today, we're going to be discussing the fake chicken environmentally, physically, how is this good for us? Then we're going to move on to uh, Diet Coke, what the FDA just recommended. That is going to be really tough on me, and I think on on David also. Uh, And this just happened. Scientists may be able to restore hearing, which is a big issue in my home, because my wife, as we've talked about before, basically lost most of her hearing, and, and it's genetic. And then in, hey, what about me? A listener to the show wants to know why it's so hard to get certain cancer drugs. They have a family member involved in chemo, so we will discuss that too. But let's start with our first issue. Fake chicken, or as I like to call it, false chicken. They say it's bad for the environment to make fake chicken, but isn't it just bad to eat fake meat? I don't know. I I would love to hear your take on this, Doc. It actually can go both ways for for the environment. I think the environment doesn't ultimately win either way, but this is the first time the FDA has approved a lab cultivated meat product, this being chicken, I think I'll pass. There are two restaurants in the U.S. that are going to feature this. One is in Washington, D.C. The other one's in San Francisco. And the idea was that we're polluting the environment with what we're doing as far as manufacturing through traditional measures, with grazing, with feeding, with metabolizing and turning things into methane. And these things are all negative for the environment. So the idea was that this was going to be the cure-all for that, but it's not exactly that. What's interesting about that is the United States produces about 50 billion pounds of chicken a year, and there are 150 companies now that are competing to try to manufacture chicken from live cells and get into this marketplace. There are problems with this. What happens is you take these live cells from an animal, and you pick the animals that are the most tasty and the, and the most uh, reproductive of the group. You sprinkle in some growth factors, oh. and then you throw, mm, throw this yum. mix into some I'm getting hungry. I am really what a recipe. Hungry. <laughs> so this chicken soup gets put into these tanks. They're steel tanks. And in three weeks, you have sheets of poultry. And they shape them into a cutlet. But they're free-range sheets. It's free-range <laughs> genetic faulty wood. <laughs> wow. So it turns out mm. this good news is not such great news because there you can't produce this stuff to the same scale that we're doing currently with real animals. It's very expensive. The chicken from this comes out to be about $20 a pound. Uh, half of the adults that were surveyed, whether they would eat this or not, <laughs> their answer was a big no, because it's too weird to quote yeah, it's most weird. of them. It's weird. And the environmental issues don't go away either, because now you have these plants that are carbon-based. Yeah. So I don't know where the big advantage is until we get... You know, may I say the first observation I have is, and I say this in a medical sense, not to be funny, you have no farting. So the methane that's released by animals 
is not released by the animal. So that may be, I'm just trying to figure a plus column. You're saying that we're going to live in a fartless world? A fartless world. Wow. I hadn't thought of that. Can you imagine? Well, that's a very that's good his point. campaign slogan, Peter <laughs> Tilden for president, live in a fartless world. So here's my question with the DNA faux chicken. Is it like metabolically, would we absorb it in the same way nutrient wise? Is it built up? Does it have the same amino acids, the same fat protein balance? Like, is it the same? Yes. And yes. And it tastes like chicken. Oh, I was waiting for that joke to come out. But if they accidentally get a mutation that they don't catch or something in in Ralph, let's call Ralph the the, the first chicken, the origin chicken. If there's some something wrong in the DNA they don't pick up or an error or something, then it would reproduce in all of the offspring that would be geneticized in the lab, right, David, that they may not be able to trace. So that, isn't that an issue? Yes, that's an issue. A more likely issue is that something gets contaminated in these steel tanks and an infection gets into this slab o chicken, and that's a problem. There are quality... So that's like Ralph recalls 400 million pounds of chicken today. Basically all chicken today. Wow. Recalls happen all the time in the food world. There's yep. stuff that happens. The gluten-free waffles didn't weren't actually gluten-free and hurt people. Or the chicken, the actual chicken had salmonella, so they had to recall it. Like it happens all the time. Anna, you would know this because of your, your deal with gluten, and David would know this, I would think. Is there fraud in the gluten-free world? I mean, if somebody came into a supermarket and grabbed gluten-free products and did testing or were able to test, would you find out that 50% of it is... I don't know the percentage, but I'm sure you would find out that some had either cross-contamination or some... like It actually just happened with a Vans waffles. They just had to recall the gluten-free waffles because they were chock full of gluten. Or maybe they put the wrong wrapper on. I mean, listen, stuff happens in food manufacturing. It does. But if you're a manufacturer of gluten-free product and you misrepresent, you just don't bother. Is there, are there checks and balances before it leaves your place? Or you, are yes. you, are there is you somebody be, who checks Yes, it? you have to be certified gluten-free or you can say no gluten. And as long as you're swabbing before manufacturing, like for instance, my sauces and spices are both made in places where there's no gluten ever allowed in those plants. So right. it, it just depends on where it's made. Everybody's different. Every manufacturing plant is Got different. Got it. But there are mm-hmm. checks and balances. So you can't just say it. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And usually if it's a reputable company, I mean, this is, this is kind of the same thing as like get to know Get to know your farmer, unless you want to eat fake chicken, get to know farmers and maybe see if you can get something from a ranch nearby. It's like, get to know where your food comes from. I'm always a big proponent of that. It's a similar issue with supplements that we buy at health food stores. The supplements are not regulated. So you're not sure whether you're getting real vitamin E or you're getting the D3 product that you got in the last bottle. So there, there are regulatory issues, and I'm assuming that it's even more strict with foods. How far off is this? What are they saying when this will be available in a store near you? I think 10 years. I think it's going to take a long time before they can get these steel machines up and running, and they're very expensive. So I think it's going to be a, a long time to convert to this. But it is interesting that the idea was great that we're going to help the environment. Also, if if I could just be devil's advocate for a moment, if it's going to take 10 years and billions of dollars, we could also consider changing the way we farm. Just want to put that out there. But no, let's let's do fake chicken and a whole bunch of steel. I don't know. Am I off base? The idea of free range is another interesting idea. What that really means is you have to let the chicken out for what, 
12 minutes a day to run on the grass. I mean, it's not, That's right. they're not it's just not out as, there all day and night. Yeah. They're out there for a no. few minutes. The requirements are different. And in some of the larger poultry uh, manufacturing, they can just open the roof, you know, they open the roof. So as long as there's some sun exposure for the 12 minutes a day, pastured is the word you're looking for, not free range. Pastured, you want pastured chicken. Good to know. Next up, Diet Coke. I was shocked to see this, but also not surprised. The FDA saying avoid a particular sugar additive. Never going to happen. Well, it's going to happen in about three days. Y'all love your not. Diet Cokes. The, the World Health Organization and the IARC, which is the International Agency uh, for Researching Cancer, they have decided, uh, and it's an interesting history that there are carcinogens in aspartame, which is the major one that we use now in these diet products. And they're serious. And, and we see this in diet sodas, uh, gums, crystal light. We see this in syrups and jello and anything that says sugar-free. If you read the label, it's going to say aspartame. So aspartame has been associated with neurologic problems and a lot of different cancers. Uh, the idea of artificial sugar was actually popularized during World War II when they weren't making enough sugar. They came up with saccharin, which was one of the first, if not the first. And then in the, in the 1980s, they realized that by reducing calories with these products, it was good for your general health, which is actually quite true. And from then, an entire industry developed to create these products. In 1965, aspartame was created, and it was created as a fluke. There was a research group that was working on anti-ulcer drugs, and one of the researchers at the end of the day, before washing his hands, licked his fingers and had this very sweet taste, and when they traced it back, it was aspartame, which is 200 times sweeter, by the way, than sugar. So that's sort of how it, how it came to that. be. The story is actually, I think, more interesting because there's a political component to this. Cyril, uh, which is a manufacturer of aspartame, sought FDA approval in 1973, and they were turned down because there were these preliminary studies that said, this isn't good for you. And then in 81, Reagan becomes president, and he has his transition team. And on the transition team is a guy by the name of Donald Rumsfeld, who just happened to be the CEO of Cyril. Oh. And when that transition team transitioned, he was then appointed to be the head of the FDA. And so he sort of kept all that negative press out of anyone's hands. But new evidence came out in the 90s. And then there was an Italian group in, in 97 that said, no, no, this is not good stuff. And they specifically linked it to brain cancer. But the industries continued to have a, a dissenting view on this. And so there was this war, which brings up a really interesting issue about the conflict between the government, the FDA, and science, which is something we saw during the pandemic with vaccines. And so there's a big ticket item here for aspartame from the drug companies, and there's a health issue. And the IARC, the International Agency for Researching Cancer, 
is a very respected agency within the WHO because they actually look at private confidential science that is surrounding this. And so their recommendations are are pretty viable and reliable. So everyone is going to be affected by this on some level that's trying to lose weight or use these products. I personally love Diet Coke. I love. Yeah, I was just going to say, David and I go to breakfast almost every Saturday. And the first thing the folks there know to do is <laughs> give us all the pink, sweet and low, fake or fake sweet and low. We don't even get sweet and low. It's called like something and something because it's a knockoff. <laughs> but we have, I have to have that. That's my that's my high for the week. That's a, is that a hundred times sweeter than sugar, David? Two hundred times. Two hundred times. Oh my gosh! I yep. never so, some, so my taste buds are shot. Your taste buds are going to rearrange, yeah. If you uh, and you and you're right, Anna. Things do modulate when uh. they're so, and we have specific taste buds for sweet, specific taste buds for sour and spice, and they're in different parts of the tongue. If you really want to play with this, but I started looking at labels in my house and. I'm a dead man. I'm not sure I'm going to get another. We're all that. Hours. We're all that. We don't even. I'm going to take you guys grocery shopping one time. We're going to talk about this stuff. We're going to do a little Anna grocery shops with Dr. Kipper and Peter Tilden. Right away when I saw we're going to do this, there's already pushback articles that are saying that it's alarmist, and you get so much. Yes, I've seen a lot of those. And not to to point the finger at any industry, Washington is filled with lobbyists. That's what there is. You hire somebody to make noise on your behalf. You also start industry publications to put out print stuff that looks legit. Every every industry has a vested interest in not being investigated or diminished. So they all push it. And the stuff that has to do with medical or our health, you never, it's really hard to navigate. And also people out there, Peter, you and I are poster kids for this comment. People out there like their aspartame. They like the idea of who wants to give up their Diet Coke? Who wants to give up their sugarless gum? You know, these. this is a much harder sell than the vaccines. That was a different issue. No, here's my question. You said earlier in three days, the World Health Organization. So what's happening? Are they outlawing it? Are they banning it? Like, are, are, is Diet Coke not, you know, freaking out? They're labeling it as a carcinogen. And I think that's a big word. That's a scary word to most people. But it also contributes to choice. You can still decide whether you want to get cancer or you don't want to get cancer. There are people that like to have their meat products cooked very well done. I happen to be be one of those people. And there are more carcinogens the longer you cook your your meat and your food. So we we live with this day to day. But I think the amount of aspartame in the in the world is incredibly high. This is gonna be this is gonna be interesting information. Another interesting thing, and we've spoken about this on our show before, is that they've studied the difference in weight reduction with people that are eating artificial sweetened products. They they took a group that gave them diet drinks and regular sugar drinks with the other group, and the people that were drinking the regular sugar drinks um, had much 
better outcomes. The people that were drinking diet drinks had gained a lot more weight than that other group. Isn't that crazy? Because the people drinking diet drinks think the diet drink is going to help them lose right. weight. So the rationale is that. Well, you think I'm eating less calories. Yeah. They're already overweight. Yeah. People who are drinking regular soda aren't that conscious about their weight. So they probably don't have a weight problem. I mean, you don't know the Even the if reasons. it doesn't raise your blood sugar, it's doing something because that study, I mean, I don't know what it's doing, but that seems like- Oh, they've known it for forever. Yeah. Anna, oh. it does raise your blood sugar because the brain processes sucrose and fructose like glucose. It sees the same thing. The other thing that happens with these diet products, especially the drinks, they, there's more sodium. If you look at the That's sodium true. content, the extra sodium in these beverages- makes you thirsty. So you finish one, you want another one. That's by design, I'm sure. They want you to drink more of their product. So in this week's This Just Happened segment, this is something really close to home for me because my wife, I've talked about it, not only uses hearing aids, but got a had to have a cochlear implant because her hearing genetically is almost gone in one ear and uh, totally gone in the other where they did the implant. Her mother had the same issue. Her grandfather had the same issue. And it looks like that they're talking about at some point being able to enable hearing and, and maybe even regenerate. So people who've lost their hearing have something regenerate, which they've not been able to do. So David, what does that look like? That's huge. Well, we know, for instance, we have the cochlea, which is where we do our hearing. And I'll go back to high school for a minute, how we hear. The outer ear takes in the sound waves. It hits a membrane, a tympanic membrane. That vibrates those sound waves through those three little bones. Those three little bones convert that into the inner ear, which is where the cochlea sits. Remember, it's that thing that looks like a snail. Right. And within the cochlea, the cochlea takes that vibration, converts that to energy, and then processes that right to an area in the temporal lobe where we hear. And in the cochlea, the reason that we can hear is that we have, in each ear, we have about 16,000 of these little hair cells. And it's those hair cells that allow us to convert the energy and transmit it to the temporal lobe. The problem is that we couldn't get through the temporal bones. There's two bones on each side, the temporal bones that surround the ear, that protect the ear mechanism. And we've not been able to get through those bones in order to get directly to the cochlea until recently, because there was a, a group at Rochester uh, University that were, again, poor mice, they were working with these mice. And they found that there was actually a highway between the cochlea and the brain. And they found the same highway in human beings. And it's an aqueduct. And they you can actually take these engineered cells. They're engineered cells that create a protein, and that protein then restores the function of these hair cells. That's how that works. And what's interesting about that, so they don't have to pierce the bone. They can just give you a little injection in a part of your central nervous system, and it's into the CSF, the cerebral spinal fluid. And they attach these engineered cells to a virus. 
this is not uncommon. We use virus to get things to other places because viruses go everywhere. And it's actually a cold virus. It's an adenovirus. So you attach these genetically engineered cells to the virus. It swims through the aqueduct, gets into the cochlea, and bingo. And so these studies in mice were dramatic. And they we have the anatomy, so now we know how to do this. We have the bioengineered cells. So this is not far off. This is, this is in the near future. And what happens to these cells and the reason they fail is that as we age, if you're over 50, you're starting to lose those cells. If you're around loud noises, if you are getting older than 50, anything that happens to your hearing that's offensive you're going to start losing these cells. So by the time you're later in your life, you've had enough exposure to these things that these hair cells that started out at 16,000 are, you know, dramatically reduced. So this is amazing uh, news and, and technology and exciting. Well, and people don't realize the impact of, of a hearing loss, the fact that you feel isolated. I mean, my wife at a party where there's more than a couple people is just checked. You don't even know that she's checked out. But because she can't hear and hearing aids, even the most sophisticated ones, the problem is, and think about this, you're at a ball game, yet they can be directional. But if it's increasing the volume of the person sitting next to you talking, it's also increasing the sound of the crowd noise, the crowd roar, the cheering. So everything is amplified that way. You go out in the street and you're talking to somebody and the cars are behind you instead of in front of you, it's a whole different orientation. So a lot of people end up shutting down. A lot of people end up not talking to their spouses, to their kids, to whatever. They pull in and it's really, and it becomes, and it's slow, so it's unnoticeable, but it really causes a lot of internal pain. It's the biggest risk factor for dementia is right. hearing loss. Wow. Because what Peter just said, people isolate, you know, hearing aids just tell somebody around you that you're old and you're compromised. So people don't want hearing aids. People go deaf before they will put in a hearing aid. And so it, that's a tough sell. So this is, this is game-changing stuff. In today's What About Me, where you could ask a question, this is a big issue. It's been in the news, and this person needs some help with it. It's a, sh a shortage of a specific kind of drug. Here's the question. Hi, Dr. Kipper. I have a family member dealing with cancer and undergoing chemo and radiation. They were just told by their oncologist that the drugs being used for their treatment are in short supply and soon may not even be available. Is that possible? And if so, what should they do? Unfortunately, not only possible, but it's actually here. And we have a tremendous problem now because there's a critical shortage in these drugs, two in particular, which are carboplatin and cisplatin. They're both platinum-based drugs. And we use these drugs for several cancers. We use them for leukemia, for lymphomas, breast, lung, ovarian cancers. So they're, they're pretty common. About 50% of people that are newly diagnosed every year with cancer need these drugs specifically. And the alternatives to these drugs are not good. These drugs were, in some many cases, curative. So the alternatives are not curative. And we've come a long way with cancer therapies where we're 
able to cure a lot of people with cancer. So now this is a, we're going backwards because of this. Doctors are having to lower the doses of the drugs they are using, and they're increasing the intervals of when people are getting their treatments. Um, and that's generated a whole other level of study to see how long can you increase these intervals and still maintain the same effects uh, of these drugs. So it's a big problem. We've had this for probably 15 years. We've seen this problem. And the problem is because generic drug makers make very little profit on their products. There's a lot of competition for generic drugs. You know, a drug is out there for seven years. They're protected on, a, on their uh, trademark. And then after that many years, they're thrown out into the public and anybody um, we, the three of us could make those drugs. And there's so a lot of people competing for these, these drugs. There are about 130 generic drugs on this list that are also at risk. We were using manufacturers in India and China long before the pandemic. But when the pandemic hit, there was a big negative about China and India that came out of our political system. And so we, we weren't able to communicate and negotiate as well. They also closed down a lot of their labs and their manufacturing. There were a lot of quality issues that we saw in India that made it even more difficult to get these. So again, the supply chain changed with the pandemic, made everything much worse. People lost the trust. So the solutions to this are interesting in that it, the government has to create these strategies and policies that are going to allow, this is going to sound really terrible, these drug companies to have more profitability. And, you know, that's sort of contrary to what we all think is that they're making so much money anyhow. But for these drugs, for these life-saving drugs, there has to be some government intervention on this. Interestingly, Mark Cuban has a company that he created last year called Cost Plus Drugs. And his concept, and he has about a thousand drugs that he's selling through this company. He has a standard fee. It's about $5 a drug. There's a small delivery fee attached to that. And, you know, this has been an amazing innovation. And he's manufacturing these drugs, not with big drug plants, but with robotics. So he's using he's able to cut down on labor costs. And just by using robotics, he's able to create these generic drugs. There was another uh, nonprofit called Civica, and they were founded about five years ago. And they were doing the same thing. They were purchasing drugs directly from the manufacturers. They were supplying 1,500 hospitals with generic drugs, which was keeping them afloat because, again, they were hard to get. And they're just about to start adding cancer drugs to their inventory. But yes, this is a huge problem. And people that are in the middle of their therapies, people that are now going to their doctor and are hopeless and where we used to be able to give people great hope, this is impacting the way we relate to our patients. But David, does this get to the point, and it's scary to even bring this up, where doctors then have to make a choice of this person has a better chance longevity-wise than that person. So I'm going to decide to make sure that person gets a prescription before that person. I mean, now you're you're really sitting in judgment. That's, that's a tough call. 
doctors make these choices every day um, based on these issues. So that's not a new issue. It's a cold and seemingly heartless issue, but that, that is something that people decide. I was working in an emergency room when I was a resident and I was all by myself as I was the only doctor. I was all by myself as the only doctor and a car accident came in and there were three badly injured people. And all three of these people were destined to not live. And I had to decide amongst these three people, which one I was going to work on in my head to this day having to make that decision and two people did not make it. So we make these decisions, you know, regularly, but yes, Peter, to your point is that we're, we're once again in that position to have to make these decisions. That's just part of your day every day about prioritizing and life and death issues. Holy smoke. It's a whole lot of different kind of pressure, David. Well, thank you, Mark, for your, your call. Um, I'm sorry that, that, there are not that many options, but you got to talk to your doctor. The Mark Cuban thing is fascinating. He said that's going to be his legacy. That's the, that, it the is most amazing. important thing that he Very does. Cool he's doing that. Is that. Yeah. So let's let's do a recap. Fake chicken. Is it good or is it bad? It's around the corner. It tastes like chicken. <laughs> going to cost you a billion dollars for a drumstick, but it's, it's going to cost you there. a leg and a thigh, right? That's right. We also discussed Diet Coke, aspartame. By the way, I heard somebody call it aspartame once, and I was like, that's very fancy. It very sounds fancy safer. Sounds that's much safer. the French version. Aspartame. Diet Coke. We're going to have warning labels. Yes. This is going to be a bigger problem than Diet Coke. Sorry, Peter, you and I. Uh, it's everywhere. So if you see aspartame as a product in a sugar substitute, think twice. Regenerating. Hearing is a huge thing, and this just happened. And this is such great news because it's going to happen. It's available. It's going to impact the amount of dementia that we see in this country. And it's just going to be a, a game changer. And our caller? Yes. And fortunately, if there is a fortunate part of this, it's a big enough issue that there's going to be a lot of uh, press and a lot of action around this. And people are going to, I know, start putting a lot of money into this. So I think this is a problem that will have a solution that's viable. I, I know the government's going to have to get involved with this. There's an election coming up. Uh, this is going to be an issue that's going to be discussed. And by the way, if you have a question out there for Dr. Kipper, why don't you head on over to bedsidematters.org, leave us a message, write us a card or a letter, and Dr. Kipper might just answer your question. I want to thank Dr. Kepper. Make sure to check out his book, Override. It's all about how we are biologically and psychologically predisposed to perform a certain way. This will help you figure out why or maybe even change your behavior. Anna Vicino, go to her website for recipes, for her sauces, which she mentioned. I got a bunch of her sauces here and her spices. Her uh, cookbooks are all about grain-free, gluten-free, and low-carb. Thank you, producer Laurie, and thank you for listening to Bedside Matters. If you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, we're here to help. We offer new episodes every Monday. So follow us, like us, and have a great week. The information on Bedside Matters should not be understood or construed as medical or health advice. 
The information on bedside matters is not a substitute for medical or health advice from a professional who is aware of the facts and circumstances of your individual situation. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with your friends. We'll see you next time.